0: If you have your Bible with you, would you please open up to the book of Galatians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, don't stress. Uh, I'll put the passage that we're studying on the screen here in just a moment. If you do have your Bible, I'd love for you to open it up so you can follow along with us. Uh, Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14 is classic Paul. It's an atomic amount of stuff in a nuclear amount of space. And uh, it's helpful for our study if you can look at the words with me in your own Bible. Galatians 3 verses 10 through 14. Uh, several years ago, uh, in a place halfway across the country, uh, my brother and his wife drove a long ways to attend my church on a Sunday morning. It was a two-hour drive for them. They left early, early in order to get there on time. And when they finally got to the church, they're both pretty tired from a long drive and an early morning And as they approached the front doors, uh, the greeter standing there did not say, good morning, did not say, the Lord bless you, did not say, hey, you're not from around here, who are you? Uh, No, the greeter pointed at the large soda my sister-in-law was carrying and said, you can't bring that in the building. You either got to dump it or drink it right here. My sister-in-law was a little caught off guard by that. So she dumped out her soda and then came in the building and carried that conflict with her the rest of the morning, later that afternoon. uh, The the greeter's motivation was not because we had new carpet we're trying to protect or because there's a huge soda allergy outbreak in our facility. Uh, The greeter had just decided on her own that worshiping the Lord would not be honorable to him with a big gulp in your hand. And so that's why she felt the need to stand at the door and enact her laws on people who were coming in. When my sister-in-law came up, she didn't see a person. She saw in her mind a lawbreaker. And so I, I called the greeter later that afternoon and I, to talk about it. And she said, oh, Pastor Cody, thank you for calling Out of your brotherly concern for me and I gladly receive this correction and I will never think or act this way again. That's not what she said. (laughs) People like that don't like correction at all. Especially when you say, hey, your legalism hurts people. Legalism is the problem. Legalism is an acute demonic influence in the Christian church. It is particularly insidious because it is religious people using religious language for what they claim to be religious motives. And in its presence is a blast radius. People laid out, destroyed by the insanity of religious legalism. Paul has a name for it. We read it in Galatians chapter 1. The Greek word is anathema. It means accursed. When Paul thinks about religious legalism as a way to access God, he says this is a cursed way of thinking, a cursed way of living. It's so strange that you and I would fight against the good news. But that's exactly what we do when we assume that those who believe in Jesus and keep religious rules will eventually be saved. That's not good news. That's a curse. That's wicked thinking. And it's that kind of thinking that Galatians chapter 3 verses 10 through 14 wants to free us from today. So my goal today is for you to understand why keeping religious or moral law will never save you. And why Jesus is infinitely better. If there were a question driving our time together this morning in Galatians 3, the question would be this. Why is faith in Jesus better than reliance on religious or moral law? And I'm going to give you, from this passage, four reasons why Jesus is better. I want you to follow along with me as I read, or you can follow along on the screen. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Paul writes this. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law... Because the righteous will live by faith. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. So that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. It's a brilliant passage. It's vintage Paul, if we could call it that. I don't know if you noticed or not. He quoted the Old Testament four different times in these few brief verses. Four different times he's supporting his argument for the gospel from the Old Testament with these four different quotes. And those quotes, those sections help us understand the passage this morning, they give us the four answers to the question, why is faith in Jesus infinitely better than reliance on religious or moral law for our salvation? Let me give you the first answer. Why is faith in Jesus better than reliance on the law? Because first of all, the law condemns us. We might think if I adhere to the law, if I observe religious law, that will do me well with God, But what Paul tells us in verse 10 is that actually the law condemns us. Paul's point is clear in verse 10. He says, all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. What does it mean to rely on the works of the law? Uh, Well, when Paul is speaking of the law here in Galatians, he's referencing specifically the Mosaic law, the Torah. And so if someone were to say, yes, I believe in Christ, and I keep all of the Ten Commandments, therefore I am saved. Paul says this is a cursed thinking. This is condemnation. And why is it that reliance on the law condemns us? Well, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26, which says, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. In our minds, the measurement for a righteous life is simply doing more good than bad. Just as long as we can get the scales to tip in our favor, we assume that we're gonna be okay with God. But the biblical standard is not 51% good to 49% bad. The biblical standard for righteousness, for a right standing before God is 100% perfection. That's the standard. Now look, are you a good person? I'm confident you're a good person. Are you better than a bad person? I'm confident we can look around and find someone worse than you, someone that you're better than. Are you a perfect person? Not by a long shot. And this is where our imperfection puts us at an infinite distance apart from God. When we rely on the law, we are cursed. And that's not because the law is messed up, it's not that we need to rip the Old Testament out of our Bibles. The reason the law curses us is because we are messed up. Now, when Paul speaks of curse, I think it's right for us in this instance to think of the curse of legalism in two different ways. First of all, that curse is an everlasting curse. It is God's judgment against our sin. It is a judgment that is final once and for all for eternity. And in that sense, that curse is Future tense. It's a curse that awaits all those who would rely on the law for their salvation before God. I think there's a second way we can make sense of this curse also. It's safe to say that the curse is also present tense. Anytime religious people have relied on the law rather than trusted in Jesus Christ, the results have been disastrous in the immediate. It's not a curse that merely awaits. It's a curse that is perpetrated in the day-to-day of our lives. There's a great example for us in the New Testament. A Jewish group called the Pharisees. They practiced an improper reliance on the law and rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the Pharisees were incredibly devout people. By any standard, they were pious, they were religious, they lived admirable lives. They memorized scripture, they prayed, they gave a literal tenth of everything they received. Not just out of their paycheck, but salt, pepper, grain, you name it. They gave a tenth of everything they received back to the temple. They were evangelistic, they were missionaries, they were worshippers. But on the day that a Pharisee was walking down a road and he saw a man beaten almost to death, lying bloody and naked on the side of the road, he would not dare lend help to that man out of fear of violating religious rules. And he walked on by. They wouldn't eat with sinners. They had no hope for and no contact with people who had illnesses of any kind. They were consumed with power, in keeping power. They did not love. Jesus said, you're like whitewashed tombs. And so it is with Christian legalism. It perpetuates racism. It devalues people. It shows favoritism. It is concerned with attaining and keeping power. It courts favor with authority. It excuses violence. It places blame on victims. It is the most demonic of hypocrisies. Where legalism reigns, people suffer every time. Every time. Not necessarily only on a large scale, but on a family scale, a local scale. Legalism destroys lives in small circles and large circles. Paul is telling us here that the law condemns us, it puts us under the curse. That's not the only reason why Jesus is better, though. Faith in Jesus is better, second of all, because the law cannot make us righteous before God. Look at verse 11. Paul says, No one, or he says, Now it's clear that no one is justified. Before God, by the law, now we spoke about justification just a couple of weeks ago. If you didn 't catch that message it 's online. I would encourage you to go and check that out the, the, the topic of justification is of vital importance for understanding your position before God and so justification, what we said a couple of weeks ago, it is a one time declaration from God that places your guilt and death on Jesus and places His righteousness and eternal life on you. If you remember back, I described a sort of courtroom scene. And in that courtroom scene, the verdict against us is correct. We are guilty of sin against God. And so, if in my reliance on the law, I have been condemned before God, and I try to argue my case by pointing back to my reliance on the law, well, then I'm doomed. That makes no sense whatsoever. I'm a lawbreaker. I deserve death. But God, let me plead my case by showing you the laws that I have kept in my feeble attempts. And so in order to support his point, Paul quotes from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He says, the righteous will live by faith. It's a common critique of this sort of radical reliance on faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's really not radical. But there's a common critique of this point that says this. Well, if salvation is only by faith, then you can just say, I believe in Jesus. Get your get out of hell free card and then just live however you want. You're just making room for people to sin and sin and sin and say, oh, but I believe I'm a Christian but that's just utter nonsense. The good news isn't that we'll put you in shackles so you can be free. The good news is that by faith in Christ, we have life. The righteous will live by faith. That means in our day-to-day lives, the faith that has given us eternal life is the faith that guides us as we walk and live in obedience to Jesus Christ. Followers of Jesus are concerned with obedience to God's word, Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. If he's rescued me from the curse, then I want to live in the blessing. I don't want my curse removed only to go back and immerse myself back in the curse. I want to live in the blessing of Jesus Christ. So salvation by faith alone is never an excuse for sin. But rather it's an invitation to holiness. The law can't make us righteous before God. The righteous live by faith. Jesus is so much better. There's a third reason why Jesus, faith in Jesus is better than the law. The third reason is that the law cannot give us life. Now, Verse 12 is a really difficult verse to make sense of. There's been a lot of scholarly ink spilled over this verse throughout the ages. And so I'm going to solve it for you here in four minutes. (laughs) Not really. But I'll give you my best (laughs) shot at trying to make sense of this really tricky verse. Paul says this. He says, The law is not based on faith. I think what Paul's telling us here is that the law was intended by God to be a guide for those who believe. The law was never meant to be a replacement for faith. The law was given by God knowing that we would break it, knowing that we would not keep it because with the law came also a sacrificial system by which God gave grace to lawbreakers like you and I. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to us and died in the cross, the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. He obliterates every other sacrifice. He surpasses every other sacrifice. There's no more sacrifices needed because God the Son has given Himself for our salvation. And so because of that, We don't need to observe the law for our salvation. Rather, the law was given as a guide, not as a replacement for faith. So what are we to make of the quotation from Leviticus 18.5 here in verse 12? He says, the one who does these things will live by them. What are the these things Paul's talking about? Uh, The these things, I believe Paul's describing doing the law, keeping the law. The one who keeps the law will live by the law. That's what I think Leviticus 18.5 is saying. So I take Paul to be giving us a statement that's true, but that is ironic in that it is unattainable. If you were to live according to the law, to total perfection, not one mistake throughout the course of your life, then you would truly live. That's a true statement, that those who do the law would live by them. But the fact is, we don't do the law. We are law breakers. And so it's, it's an achievement that's impossible for us to attain. We cannot get there. And if you were to contrast that line back with verse 11. Verse 11, he said, the righteous live by faith. Those who do the law will live by the law. Well, those who live, do the law, there's no one who does that. It's another way of Paul saying to us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none who are righteous. No, not one. Though you could live by perfection in the law, there is no one who does that. No one. The law cannot give us life. You cannot live that way. I saw a headline uh, a while back that I had to click on. It said, woman lives without food. And I thought, That's, that sounds horrible. What is that all about? And the article was about this woman who practices this sort of Eastern mysticism. Uh, and she says that she receives her nourishment not from food, but from breathing. And it's a system called, I'm not making this up, breatharianism. Someone created that name and was proud of it. Breatharianism. And the claim of breatharians is that by meditation and focused breathing, one can absorb life-sustaining nutrients from the air around them. Now, I can tell by the look on your faces this is ridiculous.
1: Your eyes tell me
0: that. But look, it's true. You can live by not eating and only breathing. Just not for long. It's not go- you're not going to see many birthdays that way. Okay, And it's the same with the law. You can't live by only breathing air and you can't live by only observing the law. Jesus is better. So far, it's been pretty negative. The law condemns us. The law does not give us righteousness. The law does not give us life. So where is the good news? Well, The good news is here in verses 13 and 14. Here's why Jesus is better. The fourth reason. Jesus bore the curse for our salvation. Jesus bore the curse for our salvation. How amazing is verse 13? Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If you're looking for a Bible verse to memorize this week, here you go. Galatians 3.13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. What does it mean that he redeemed us? The word redeemed is a big word. It's a marketplace word. There were situations in the ancient world in which the word was used of slaves whose freedom had been purchased by a benefactor. Uh, perhaps this was a, the, the slave was an indentured servant, someone who was a local farmer who was in debt to a, someone with more means. And so when that debt was paid off and that person was freed from it or freed from their slavery, their bondage, they had been redeemed. That's the same word Paul uses here to describe the flavor of our salvation, both how it's accomplished and what it produces. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did he do that? Well, Paul tells us Deuteronomy 21:23 says, "Everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed." Jesus died on the cross. He said Paul said the same thing in a slightly different way in 2 Corinthians 5:21. He said God made the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became a curse. Those words barely make sense to our small brains. Christ To be Christ is to be divine. It is to be Messiah, the anointed one. God in the flesh, God the Son. To be Christ is not to be merely a great teacher or a great man. To be more than a man or less than a God. To be Christ is to be the creator God, perfect and sinless. For Christ to become a curse. It means that his death was not merely a physical death, but it was a spiritual death. And he took your curse on himself. The one who never lied became a liar. The one who never stole became a thief. Uh, The one who valued every life became a murderer. All this at the cross where he took your curse. And when Christ redeems us, he redeems us in full. He removes the curse not in part, but completely The curse of sin, the punishment that we deserve, is gone in total. And so then the question for the Christian becomes this. If Christ has removed the curse from me, why do I still choose to walk in cursed ways? When you flirt with someone who is not your spouse. When you drink to get drunk. When your temper is unchecked. When you live in secret pornography when you hate, when your hope in your rent is in a slot machine, when you hoard your income, when you forg- refuse to forgive, these are all ways in which we walk in the curse that Christ died for to remove from us. For all these things and more, God gives grace. Our journey towards freedom may be variations of peaks and valleys, Look, we belong to the curse breaker. He has fought and won for us. And he gives us grace to help us press forward, walking and living in freedom. In verse 14, Paul says, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so we could receive the promised spirit through faith. The purpose of what? The purpose of Christ hanging cursed on a tree. The purpose of his death was that Abraham's blessing would come to Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. What's Abraham's blessing? We talked about it last week. It's God the Holy Spirit dwelling in us by faith. So this is how much God loves you. He had a plan for your salvation long before you were born. And he knew that you would be a curse carrier And because of that, he sent his son, Jesus, to die in your place. And he also planned that you would hear the gospel and you would believe the gospel. And that he would turn your idol factory of a heart into the dwelling place of God, the Holy Spirit. And he would bring you into his family as his forever child. That's the kind of God who's rescued us. So if I were to ask you, why is faith in Jesus better than reliance on the law? Could you give me an answer? From what we've read this morning, we have four answers. The law condemns us. It does not make us righteous. It does not give us life. And Jesus is the curse breaker who redeems lawbreakers. Jesus is the curse breaker who redeems lawbreakers. A while back, I... Read this selection from a book and I want to share it with you. It's about a Scottish pastor named Aeneas Sage. He was ordained pastor in La Caron Highlands in the 1720s. Uh, he won little regard for his abilities as a minister because no one would come to his church to hear his sermons. Uh, he was a strong man. He participated in Scottish games and he was a champion of those and pastor sage saw that the chief man in La Caron was a man named big rory and big rory was their champion in the highland games so the only way for pastor sage to gain the respect of the district was to take on big rory so pastor sage challenged big rory in putting the stone tossing the caber and in, in wrestling and pastor sage won an easy victory his fame was established at once but still the people would not come to his church. Only Big Rory came to his church. So Pastor Sage ordained Big Rory as an elder. And then when people gathered on Sunday mornings for their games, Pastor Sage and Big Rory would join them and carry them to each into the church, locking the church while they were away so the people could not escape. At the opening of the service, Big Rory would stand at the door with a club. And so the service would be conducted in a full church. It is said that, quote, Pastor Sage made the people very orthodox. When Pastor Sage and Big Rory appear, there is an inevitability to the situation. And so it is when the curse breaker comes to redeem you. Who or what can possibly stand in His way? Are you ready to be freed from the curse? If you'll turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ today, you will be set free once and for all. Don't leave this building without knowing where your eternity lies. Don't leave this building without embracing new life through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't carry that curse another moment. Don't walk in that death One more step. Jesus is so much better. Risk everything on him. And if you need to talk to someone this morning about that, grab me when this service is over and we will put on our masks and we will talk about the glories of life through faith in Jesus Christ. And Christian, if you've been living in the curse by your sin, now is the time. To bring all that junk to Jesus, give him your shame, give him your guilt, and find once again the unending grace of your Redeemer. He is the lawbreaker, excuse me, he is the curse breaker for lawbreakers. He is the breaker for the broken. Embrace him today. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, thank you for this word to us. We need to be convinced of this, so help us in our unbelief. We put so much reliance on our works, on our religious law. And these sacred cows are hard for us to relinquish. So Holy Spirit, break the chains that hold us in bondage today. And let this be the day that new life comes in. I pray for my friends watching online and those who are worshiping here in person that for the one who doesn't know you as their Savior, they relied on being religious or moral in whatever way, that they would cast all of that aside and they would embrace Jesus Christ as their Savior. That they would risk everything on Him, trusting in Him, relying on Him, His death and resurrection to save them once and for all. Thank you for so great a salvation as that. Thank you for that kind of justification. God, I pray new life, new strength, new vitality, new freedom for my brothers and sisters in the faith. Don't let us walk in the curse anymore. But show us the way out. Help us, Father, to name the curse, to identify it, to not give it any room in our hearts, and to walk in the life and freedom we have in Jesus Christ. In his name that we pray, amen.